Today, we continue our series in the book of 1 Peter, entitled Rumors of Hope. Jesus's resurrection started a rumor that went viral in the first century. Whispers spread that new life was possible through Jesus Christ. A marginalized Jew put to death by the Romans in an effort to stop the movement he started. And according to this rumor, anyone anywhere placing their faith in Jesus Christ received eternal life. A quality of life lived now into eternity. A word spread that this gospel was good news for the poor and oppressed. It was a message of God's love for all of his creatures. And for the first time in human history, there was neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, but all were one, one in Christ. And for exiles from diverse religious and racial backgrounds around the Mediterranean, it seemed too good to be true. But in churches planted and led by Paul and Peter, <clears throat> this amazing new thing, a spiritual house constructed with a diversity of stones, was offering together spiritual sacrifices to God and sharing the good news in word and deed. And they took the values of God's kingdom into their world and changed it by impacting the social structures of their day, which Peter mentions in this letter. By living the gospel, Christians catalyze changes in civic life, the institution of slavery, and equality in marital relationships that resonated through the centuries and needs to continue today. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, our passage for this morning, Peter addresses one of the keys to Christians impacting their cultural environment. It's a clear conscience. Early Christians learned to listen to that still small voice we call the conscience. The Greeks called it the pain you feel when you do something wrong. Benjamin Franklin uh, said a good conscience is a continual Christmas. And apparently, Christmas is the pain you feel when you hear that still small voice. Anyway, the conscience uh, is an invaluable, though mysterious, gift. His conscience led philosopher Immanuel Kant to state, two things fill the mind with ever-increasing wonder and awe, the starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. The Bible talks about different kinds of consciences, a good conscience, a weak conscience, a seared conscience, and in 1 Peter 3, as Peter gives instructions on how to live the Christian life in hostile environments, he references a clear conscience. Now, a clear conscience does more than help us sleep well at night. A clear conscience is essential to passionately serving God. And with the slow public murder of George Floyd and protests since, it's time again for us to consider the condition of our conscience. We have a personal responsibility to show gentleness and respect to all image bearers, all of God's children. And we have a personal responsibility to work toward changing the structures that hinder gentleness and respect, that discriminate and damage the image of God in our brothers and sisters, and clear a path for change. And to have a clear conscience, Peter says that we must search and cleanse our conscience and then make a pledge not just show outrage in the moment, 
but binding ourselves to a movement that changes the unjust power structures that have discriminated against people of color in our country for 400 years. Now, it's safe to say that each and every one of us was horrified by the events of May 25th, when George Floyd's life was slowly and differently taken on a Minneapolis street. <clears throat> it's as if no one would question kneeing the neck of a handcuffed black man face down, begging for his life. I mean, this is 2020. How could this happen? But the truth is, there was a racial pandemic long before the viral one. Even after abolition and Jim Crow laws being rescinded and the civil rights movement, Rodney King, and more recently, Philando Castile or Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin, Stephon Clark, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. Now we have George Floyd. And all of us most likely have watched that video, all eight minutes and 46 seconds of it. But it's an image of how blacks have been treated in this country over the years. Economic suffocation, healthcare suffocation, local policing suffocation. And after each incident, reforms are enacted that are often slowly rescinded. And while a vast majority of police personnel are servants to everyone in the communities they serve, some officers and departments foster hateful attitudes. And even though I'm appalled by what happened to George Floyd and would want to have no part in anything like that, I can't just say my conscience is, is clear and just leave it at that. As a white male, I am not mistreated this way. And so it requires a step for me to gain perspective in order to accept my personal responsibility. I need to take inventory and listen for that still small voice to speak. As David prayed in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so first, search me. There's repentance. And then there's cleansing. And then finally, action. So let's begin. To have a clear conscience, first of all, we must search our conscience. In 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, <clears throat> it says, Now finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. The place to start is searching to see whether our belief in Christ has penetrated our character enough to influence our behavior. If we say we believe in Christ, our lives should provide evidence of that. And Peter names five characteristics in the pattern of Christ's life, like-mindedness, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility. And like-mindedness, uh, it means to live harmoniously with others intent on one thing. And this isn't groupthink. It's, it's the opposite of being contrary-minded. Um, it's the opposite of being negative just for the sake of being negative. 
Like-mindedness reflects the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Sympathetic means to feel along with others in joy or pain. Sympathy enters another's need and takes on their concerns. Love one another. Um, Literally brotherly love is the affectionate, demonstrative love that arises from the shared experience of being born again into the same family. Compassion. Compassion is directed toward those in distress. And the the root of this word uh, refers literally to one's inner organs, uh, which were linked at that time to feelings of mercy and concern. So it just comes from the deepest part of us, compassion. And then finally, humility or low-mindedness. It's the opposite of pride or high-mindedness. And humility is the posture of those who don't retaliate, don't seek revenge when wrong, and return a blessing for a, a curse. They are free from vindictiveness because they trust God's justice, and they are free to bless because they know God's goodness. So tracing the pattern of Christ's life, this is what brings assurance that God sees and hears those who turn from evil and do good. Those who turn from evil and live out these five qualities. God sees them. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12. It says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Here Peter quotes a portion of Psalm 34 to connect good days, God's blessing, with righteousness and peace-seeking. To love life uh, means to love it with insight and with corresponding purpose. It's desiring a life that is worthwhile, one that sees good days, um, not vain, empty days, uh, not the easy street kinds of days, but fruitful days. A good day in a beer commercial, it pictures friends having a cold one at sunset, while a good day for a Christ follower is doing good and seeking peace, whatever the circumstances. Suffering will come, but those will be days of favor as well. And to see good days, uh, Peter says that we must control our tongue in the pattern of Christ, in whom no deceit was found. No deceit was found in his mouth. Um, He says the Lord's eyes, ears, and face uh, are directed uh, toward us. Um, Eyes, ears, and face reflect a personal relationship with God. The eye of, of the Lord sees and reminds us of his providential care. His ear is open to our cries for help in prayer. The face of the Lord is a Hebrew expression for God's countenance, the side he turns to mankind, which he turns away from those who do evil. Search your conscience. Are you aligned with the needs of marginalized, dispossessed people? Do you enter into their pain as you would a family member or dear friend? Are you compassionate to their distress? Do you see them not as people to reach down to, 
but equal bearers of God's image with equal capacity, responsibility, and dignity? Do you use your words and power to build them up? It's important that we remain in the moment we're in long enough to allow the Holy Spirit to guide our conscience, to conform it uh, to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus humbled himself to enter humanity in order to redeem it. He came to assure the poor and oppressed that God sees them, that God loves them, that God has a hope and a future for them. But Jesus came to show compassion in our distress. Are we living into that pattern, a cruciform life, the pattern of the cross, loving God and loving others? So this is not the time for bold statements. Now is the time for careful reflection. May we lament and sit in the tension of this moment and search our souls. It's time for a different kind of action, uh, of self-reflection from a base of grace toward reasoned commitments that lead to real change. We need to work on the inner life in preparation for the outer life. Extending the kingdom of God Uh, the range of God's effective will, where what he wants done is done, it requires that we first form our hearts and minds in his. So to have a clear conscience, first of all, we must must search our conscience, and then uh, we must cleanse our conscience. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, Peter addresses this. He says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So Peter asks, what at first seems like a rhetorical question, expecting the response, no one. No one will harm me for doing good. But there are reasons for the idiom, no good deed goes unpunished. Sometimes the universe doesn't seem to be run by a good and just God. All too often, the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. The fact is, Peter was preparing these believers for suffering connected with their obedience to God. The retributive principle claims that you get what you deserve, which becomes confusing when suffering comes while doing what is right. But again, Jesus is the pattern for that sacrifice, who suffered more than anyone has ever suffered while doing more good than anyone has ever done. Suffering for what is right, it comes with a guarantee, a guarantee from God that he will hear and see us, he won't abandon us, he's present in the midst of our suffering. And if God is for us, well, who of any consequence could be against us? And so Peter says, don't focus on their threats, 
Focus on keeping your conscience clear. Yeah, conscience, it means literally to know together with. Referring to agreement with a standard that is outside the conscience. It's not mere knowledge, but knowing agreement with a moral law that is above us. The conscience is not the law itself. The conscience bears witness to the law. Now, this standard of conscience is the law of Christ, which reflects the moral code of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It reflects the heart of God. The conscience is a compass, and Christ is true north. And a clear conscience keeps us on course, accusing what should be accused and excusing what should be excused. Now, in order for our conscience to serve this purpose, it must be regularly cleansed. Peter's phrase for a conscience cleansing is, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord or sanctify Christ in your hearts. The root of the term translated revere, uh, it means holy or set apart. So sanctify is a good translation with the idea of cleansing by separating out from what is not clean. When we set apart Christ in our heart, we're separating out what is holy from what is evil, what fulfills the law of Christ from what does not. And cleansing results in a clear conscience, which is uh, necessary preparation for our response to requests for the reason for the hope that is within us. Living with freedom and joy. It was a remarkable lifestyle then, and it's a remarkable lifestyle now. It's a sign of the Spirit's presence. And Peter anticipates that people will notice this, and they'll seek to discover its source. So giving an answer, giving a response uh, for uh, the hope within us. Now, when we read this passage, uh, we may entertain visions of Acts chapter 17 and the Apostle Paul in the Agora in Athens, verbally jousting with whomever engaged him and coming up with brilliant insights like his comment about the statue to the unknown God that he used as an opener to talk about the God who can be known. I mean, that is brilliant stuff. Or we may think of the great modern Christian apologist, Rabbi Zacharias, who just recently uh, passed away, uh, going on to college campuses and engaging unbelief with brilliantly reasoned arguments. But it could be that Peter's instruction to answer with gentleness and respect placed more of an emphasis on attitude than content. Could it be that it places more of an emphasis on the approach than the apology? Not reasoned arguments so much as simple explanations of the gospel, but offering these while living it out, the gospel, with gentleness and respect. The truth is we won't get asked for our hope if we don't seem to have any. We can talk all we want, but if we do not have a life to back it up, no one will care. And throughout this letter, Peter has shared all the information needed to explain in simple terms the gospel story, Christ's sacrifice, the meaning of it, and the promise of eternal life. And we are always prepared to share this. If we have sanctified Christ in our heart, then we are ready to confess 
to just express our love for the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to those, even to those who resist his love, um, which may still draw uh, hostility, even if they ask for the reason for hope, they may not like what they hear. Now, Peter's prediction of people speaking maliciously against their good behavior, it does provide insight into the difficult context of their obedience. Peter is guiding them into something that is very difficult to do, but they should expect opposition. Um, But Peter comforts them that suffering for doing good, not evil, is better because their consciences before God and others will be clear. Suffering for doing good is better than suffering for doing evil. And his illustration is Christ's sacrifice. God honored Christ's sacrifice uh, through the resurrection. His dead body made alive again through the agency of the Holy Spirit, and his death brought us to God. Christ's suffering was unique because he was sinless and his death undeserved. This provided a means for our forgiveness, atonement for our sins, providing a once and for all sacrifice for the sins of others, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is the good that the Lord Jesus did. As Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so a cleansed conscience is necessary preparation to speak truth to power, to challenge the entrenched thinking and structures that perpetuate evil. And if we sanctify the Lord in our hearts, our voice will be powered by love, not anger by hope, not frustration. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most powerful force on earth and has the power to break shackles and free those held captive by injustice and by sin. The dispossessed need a voice, one that is guided by a clear conscience. So after searching our conscience and cleansing our conscience, now we come to pledging our conference, making a pledge. This is the active part that we have been preparing for. First Peter chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. It reads this way. After being made alive, he, Jesus, went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt uh, from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, to this juncture, this passage has been a straightforward discourse on the inner life of a disciple, the meaning of Christ's sacrificial life, and the challenge of sharing the gospel in hostile environments. But then it gets 
a little weird. <laughs> I'll do my best to interpret one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. Uh, Peter seeks to make the point here that those who are united to Christ are saved by the same promise that delivered Noah and his family. And in the process, he likens his readers, a small embattled minority in a hostile world, to Noah and seven others, a small embattled minority in a hostile world. <clears throat> um, and, and also uh, takes the flood waters that are mentioned uh, and compares them to the waters of baptism and then ties it all together with a pledge of a good conscience to God. So there you go. Let's work through this. Now, Peter states that after being made alive through the resurrection, Jesus made proclamation to imprisoned spirits who were disobedient <clears throat> while the ark was being constructed, uh, unrighteousness while Noah was preaching righteousness. And Peter referenced this as well in his second letter. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, if, if he did not spare the ancient world while he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Now, the implication is that the Spirit of Christ um, preached to these imprisoned spirits through Noah, uh, but he withheld judgment to provide room for repentance. But his judgment did come. The flood came, and Noah and his family were delivered uh, from that evil age uh, and the waters of the flood. Yet, the judgment of the flood was only provisional. Uh, and a deliverance uh, of, and the deliverance of Noah was a prefiguring, it was a type of a final and full salvation in Jesus Christ. Those who reject the gospel put themselves under judgment that will come when Christ comes. Now, 2 Peter uh, presents this example of Noah and seven others uh, in a list of examples that includes Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham's nephew Lot to prove that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and hold the unrighteous for punishment. So this is connected to the preceding argument Peter has uh, about how God cares for those when they obedient, obediently uh, live for him and represent him. Uh, as Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so, Peter is encouraging these exiles and anyone through the ages that is persecuted uh, for their faith in Christ. It is, it is comfort um, that, the Lord, that, that the Lord never takes his eye off of us, that he never forgets about his people, and that even in the midst of difficulty, uh, he is there with them. Now, after noting that Noah and seven others were saved through the waters of the flood, Peter connects that <clears throat> to the waters of baptism. Now, the flood waters symbolize judgment, but the waters of baptism symbolize cleansing and a new life. And just as Jesus died and rose to life, baptism symbolizes dying and raising to life. Baptism isn't about cleansing the body, but redemption of the soul. Baptism represents our pledge of dying to self 
then and raising uh, to new life in Christ. And so baptism is an outward sign uh, that marks the putting off of the pollution of sin and then uh, the beginning of a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, a life of, of active love and service in his name. And so baptism is the pledge of a clear conscience, Peter says, because it displays a new Christian's standing with God and new responsibility before him. And much like a wedding ceremony, baptism is a public celebration of commitment. And in the first century, baptisms were public. When a person accepted Christ, they were led to the nearest city pool and baptized. And after professing faith in Christ, baptism is our pledge that we have repented of our sin, received Christ's forgiveness, and now our conscience is clear and we're ready to go. This is a pledge that a life change has occurred. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The watching world needs to know of our newfound faith. And just as a bride and groom reveal their commitment by wearing wedding bands, baptism is a pledge to love and service in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, after searching and cleansing our consciences, then what will our pledge be? What will be our pledge that comes from this clear conscience? How will we act? What will we do? Now we come to the active steps. Throughout Scripture, God speaks out against powers and institutions that do not reflect his heart and will, that diminish creatures created in his image. And so the question for us in this moment is, well, how will we use our voice? How will we use our vote? How will we live our life in order to work for necessary change? What is our commitment to change systems that systematically oppress people? As Rabbi Abraham Joshua Herschel once wrote, Indifference to evil is worse than evil itself. And in a free society, some are guilty, but all are responsible. All of us wish to do something, but many of us don't really understand the issues or how to access resources available in our lives right now. So I've gathered some ideas, um, and I'll share these as a possible place to start. Here's the first idea. Memorize scripture. Memorize passages of scripture that reflect God's heart for the poor and oppressed. Your pledge won't last if it isn't supported by God's word. Memorize passages like Luke 4, 18 and 19, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Or Micah 6, 8, has he, he has shown you, O mortal, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Galatians 3, 28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 2 Chronicles 19.7, now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully for the Lord our God, for in the God, for the Lord our God, for with the Lord our God, there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. 
Acts 10, 34 through 36, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. In Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And so don't just become familiar with these passages. Commit them to memory. They will become a part of you. And that word of Christ that is dwelling within you will find expression. Another idea, volunteer or financially support a nonprofit that works for systemic economic change, like Able Works. Uh, For too long, I believe that anyone can achieve the American dream. But for many blacks in America, uh, it's the American nightmare. Black Americans are constantly encountering barriers unique to their community. And organizations like Able Works work to end systemic poverty through coaching and support for head of households toward economic security. Another idea, volunteer or financially support a nonprofit that works for systemic educational change, like Bayshore Christian Ministries or Live in Peace in East Palo Alto. By volunteering with Bayshore Christian Ministries, you can work to cultivate a hope and a future for youth through educational programs and tutoring. It's a wonderful way to be personally involved. By giving to live in peace, you will help cover the cost of college for a black youth. Another, become familiar with your local police force and city prosecutors. Do they reflect kingdom values of gentleness and respect? Become a community advocate for anti-racism in public policy and work toward institutional changes that value the image of God in every person. Call or write to your state legislature, the governor, to support statewide criminal justice reform, including reducing mandatory minimum sentences reducing and reducing sentences for nonviolent drug crimes. Another, educate yourself. Uh, on the history and impact of racism against blacks. Start a book club with friends and discuss a book like The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, or watch a movie uh, like 12 Years a Slave or Selma, just to name a few, or go back and watch that old TV series, Roots, to get a better understanding of, of the history of this issue and how it truly affects people. Find out how slavery, the Civil War, and the Jim Crow era are being taught in your local schools. Advocate that history is taught correctly and certain parts are not skipped over or barely mentioned. Advocate for cultural exchanges and cultural ambassadors in your your local school's classrooms just for exposure with people of color. Seek out a diverse group of friends for your kids and for yourself. And then practice real friendship by listening uh, when people of color talk about their experiences and share their perspectives. And then in in your business, uh, research the recruiting channels of the company you work for. Ask the question, um, are, 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 in, are the descendants of enslaved Africans uh, being directly recruited by the company that you work for? And if not, see if you can work toward that change. And then last but not least, 
Pray for the black community. Pray for hope and pray for change. Um, I'm, I'll close with a prayer for dismantling racism uh, by uh, an organization called Pax Christi. Please pray with me. Dear God, <clears throat> in our efforts to dismantle racism, we understand that we struggle not merely against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, those institutions and systems that keep racism alive by perpetuating the lie that some members of the family are inferior and others superior. Create in us a new mind and heart that will enable us to see brothers and sisters in the faces of those divided by racial categories. Give us the grace and strength to rid ourselves of racial stereotypes that oppress some of us while providing entitlements to others. Help us to create a church and nation that embraces the hopes and fears of oppressed people of color where we live, as well as those around the world. Heal your family, God. Make us one with you in union with our brother, the Lord Jesus, and empowered by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.